If you need help getting Social Security Disability Benefits, then this podcast is for you. Give me 15 minutes and I'll pull back the curtain on disability and reveal the secrets to winning I've learned over the past 25 plus years. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ginsberg and I'm a practicing Social Security Disability Lawyer. I want to help deserving claimants just like you win the benefits you deserve and not one penny less. Now, if you already know you need help today, go to ssdanswers.com for a free and confidential evaluation of your case. It takes just two minutes. That's ssdanswers.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's start the show. Hi there, this is Jonathan Ginsberg again, and today I'd like to talk about a or answer a question I get a lot from folks who see my videos or my websites, and that is, how do you know if you are sick enough to win Social Security Disability Benefits. And maybe another way to look at this would be, what are the factors that make up a winning case? And for purposes of this uh, podcast, I'd like to break it down into physical medicine issues and mental health issues. And by physical medicine, that can be anything from uh, orthopedic problems like back problems or knee problems, could be an organ issue, heart problems, liver, kidney, could simply be a disease that you've got. Diabetes uh, comes to mind. Um, other types of, of d- diseases. It even could be something like Lyme disease or fibromyalgia, uh, which are more difficult to win, but we'll get to that in a second. But those are what I would call physical medicine type of problems. And you've got, of course, the mental health issues, uh, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, PTSD, uh, things like that. So I want to kind of break it down and, and talk about this two separately because I think the what's what's really working now, maybe that's a good way to analyze this, what's working now uh, is a little bit different with those two issues. So let's first start with the physical medicine type of problems and what are some of the factors that make up a winning Social Security disability case. So first I would tell you uh, first and foremost that for ju- most judges that I go before, they're looking for objective evidence of a significant medical problem. And obviously the flip side of that would be that it's very difficult to win if you have kind of a chronic pain condition or an idiopathic condition where there's no objective evidence. And that's really why um, diseases like fibromyalgia um, or uh, RSD or chronic uh, res- chronic pain syndromes, things like that, those are more difficult to win because there's really no objective uh, evidence. Um, so I, I think that, you know, first thing I look for is, the uh, first question I ask, is there evidence of a an objective evidence where I can point to an MRI or a CT scan, an ultrasound, even an X-ray that documents that there is a problem? Uh, and if you've got some objective evidence, that's a good starting point because a judge can look at that and then can conclude that your symptoms either are or are not consistent with that problem. And if you've got a doctor, a medical doctor, uh, who supports you, who basically says that, yes, these symptoms are consistent, then uh, you've got a good chance at winning. And I realize that judges have had a lot of experience with these physical type of problems. They know, for example, if you've got a you know one or two bulging dis- discs that are in your spine that are mild, you know, that's probably not going to be enough to support a claim for disability and that most uh, orthopedic doctors or pain doctors are going to conclude that a mild level of disc bulge is probably not going to be enough. 
I'm not saying every single time, but generally speaking, that's what they're going to conclude. Um, so, you know, you, if you go in, and the way to, another way to look at this is if you go into a hearing and you've, all you've got in your, your file is evidence of a mild disc bulge at L4-5 or L5-S1, but you're saying, I can't sit for more than five minutes, I can't walk, I can't lift more than two or three pounds, I can't bend, I can't do these things. It's, just, it's not going to be consistent with what the judge normally sees, and it's not going to be consistent probably with the, what the doctor sees. So it's really helpful to have objective medical uh, evidence of your of your problem. Um, I think along with that, the judge is going to look for ongoing treatment. Um, you've got to show that you've gone to a doctor, ideally a specialist, on an ongoing basis, and you've been compliant with treatment. Um, I run into a lot of folks who have had a significant problem. They maybe had a herniated disc, a severe herniated disc, and they had an MRI four or five years ago and really no treatment since then. And that puts the judge in a very difficult situation because on one hand, there is evidence of a significant medical problem, but there's no follow-up treatment. So as far as the judge is concerned, uh, the, the, the default position is going to be, well, if you're not going to the doctor, it must mean your condition is just not that serious. Now, obviously, that's, that's not a really good way to look at things, but uh, that's what judges will conclude. So I would tell you that even if you don't have a lot of money, it's important to try to get to a doctor at least two or three, maybe four times a year just for an evaluation. If you have to go to the emergency room because of severe pain, that's better than nothing. Again, it's much better to have an ongoing relationship with a doctor, especially if you're getting pain meds. And, you know, pain meds are another thing that, you know, if you're complaining of, of severe pain or if you have a medical condition, again, like diabetes or, uh, or, or any other organ issue, and you're not taking any kind of medication, that's problematic too because the judge is going to expect to see uh, people with back problems, they're going to have pain medications. If you've got diabetes, they're going to expect to see you on insulin. Um, you know, if you have kidney or liver disease, they're going to expect to see you on certain types of medications. So it's really important that your treatment record reflect what is pretty consistent with what judges normally see. Um, another factor that makes up a winning case, in my view, is a long and consistent work history. Um, you know, I think that if, if, you, if you've been working someplace for 20 years, you've got seniority, you're making good money, um, judges are going to assume, reasonably so, that you're not going to just quit that job to sit at home for two or three years hoping you're going to win social security disability. Now, that's not the same as going to a hearing and saying, Judge, you know, I love to work and, and this has been really devastating for me. Um, I think I would focus more on the fact that working, there's a certain level of socialization in, the, in work that, you know, you, you get your self-worth out of it. Your friends are at work and it obviously helps you financially. But I think you can make an argument, a reasonable argument, that um, if you've been at a job for a long time, it's a career. And I think of a lot of teachers that I've represented where it's more of a calling even than a career. Um, you can make a pretty compelling argument that you would not stop doing that if you could continue working. And especially if the record shows that you tried to go part-time or you tried to work around your limitations, um, but you're not successful in doing so. Um, so I think those are some things that seem to really be working at hearings when you've got physical problems. And again, uh, you know, I don't want to overstate this, but judges expect to see a certain type of treatment record. If you've got a back problem, for example, uh, they're going to expect that, you know, you're put on bed rest. Then maybe you're 
given physical therapy. Uh, then you were maybe given epidural injections and maybe facet injections, and then you had surgery. And if the surgery was not successful, you had uh, long-term medication pain management. That's what they expect to see. Um, if you've got diabetes, um, you know, maybe it, I'm speaking more of type 2 diabetes that you develop later in life, that maybe your blood sugar was a little bit high in your 20s and 30s, and by the time you're in your 40s, it's getting into the 2 and 300. It's very difficult to control, or you have spikes, and you start to see vision problems, and you start to see numbness in the hands and the feet um, and, and, and other problems, other residual problems from diabetes. That's what they expect to see. Um, if you go in there and you say, I've got, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and, you know, I, I can't, and, and the blood sugar, uh, blood sugar um, levels were fairly reasonable up until fairly recently, and you're saying, I can't see it all, I'm almost completely blind, and I've got total numbness in my hands and my feet, that's just not consistent with what judges normally see. So the trend here uh, is that you want to uh, make sure that your testimony and that your treatment record really reflects what judges normally expect to see. And, you know, again, there are going to be some exceptions to this. Obviously, there are some cases where uh, people have problems that um, don't follow the normal protocol. But that's that's generally what we want to see is the judge to recognize there's a pattern here, that you've tried to fight through it as best you can with unsuccessful work attempts, but that you simply cannot work anymore, um, and that your medical problem can be imaged. It can be seen in MRI, CT, that sort of thing. If it's not, if you have a problem that is more idiopathic or it's a pain condition that cannot be visualized, um, it's a much more of an uphill battle, not impossible, but you're going to need to have much more consistent treatment, um, maybe treatment from multiple specialists that all say the same thing, that yes, you really have fibromyalgia or you really have uh, chronic uh, regional pain syndrome, um, that you've got something that simply you, you have Lyme disease and it's really, really serious because if you don't have a uh, uh, support from a doctor ongoing for a long time uh, that shows a really high level of seriousness, it's going to be much more difficult to win if you've got a physical medical problem. So let me take a little break right now, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about mental health cases and what's working now. Don't know where to begin? Get my free Secrets to Getting Approved Survival Kit. Inside the kit, I discuss such things as how do you know if you have a case? What to do if you're denied? How to avoid common mistakes? And my ever popular, how to avoid trick questions from the judge. Subscribing is free and easy. Just visit ssdanswers.com and look for the survival kit for instant access. Remember, time is eroding your position every day. Don't delay, act now. That's ssdanswers.com for your free survival kit. Okay, we are back now, and I'd like to talk to you now about what factors make up a winning Susker disability case when your problem has to do with mental health issues. And let me just tell you at the outset that um, over the years, mental health cases have become more difficult. And I think that's probably because it's very difficult to objectively confirm the existence of a mental health problem. You cannot take an MRI uh, or a CT or an X-ray to prove you've got a mental health issue. Now, again, there are some cases where you've got a traumatic brain injury 
um, or you have a disease that causes mental health problems, for example, multiple sclerosis can, where you can image a brain problem and then the mental health issues that logically flow from that, um, that's a little bit easier argument to make in a disability hearing. But if your condition is primarily anxiety, depression, PTSD, schizophrenia, um, it can be very, very difficult to show that objectively. So that means that judges are going to rely on uh, treatment records and opinion evidence from a treating mental health professional. And note that I said a treating mental health professional. Your family doctor diagnosing depression is not going to move the meter with Social Security, unfortunately. So you really need to have treatment records from a psychologist or a psychiatrist ideally both if it's a medica- if medication is prescribed. But having treatment records from a, a specialist goes a long way. Having long-term treatment records from that doctor is going to go an even longer way. Um, so I think that, that the the type of evidence, the degree of evidence you've got for mental health case, cases needs to be uh, even more uh, lengthy and more consistent than what you have with physical medicine cases because it is uh, almost inherently uh, opinion evidence. And I will tell you that judges rely more on consultative evaluations. You know, when Social Security sees that you've got a mental health problem, they will send you out typically for a consultative evaluation with a one of the panel psychologists, and judges will rely on those evaluations, sometimes even more than uh, your treating doctor. And people get really upset about that. You know, I've treated with a psychologist for five or six years or two or three psychologists for five or six years. And yet the judge basically just did not listen to what that doctor had to say and denied my case based on a consultative evaluation report from a doctor, a psychologist I saw for an hour and a half two years ago. Well, I think the reason for that is that I think, again, this is my opinion, the judges have somewhat of a built-in suspicion about mental health cases when there's a psychologist because I think that they believe that many times psychologists get a little bit invested in their patients' problems. So if you've treated with a psychologist for two or three or four years and the the psychologist, um, you've, you've explained all these problems, the psychologist generally is going to believe what you have to say unless there's clear evidence of malingering. And sometimes their conclusions are going to be reflective of what you have said. And I've seen a number of functional capacity evaluations from psychologists that describe a very, very high level of impairment, but you go back and look at the notes and it's just not consistent with that high level of impairment. And judges are very sensitive to this. So if you're treating with a psychologist, um, and the psychologist's notes are basically describing a mild level of impairment or that you're improving or that you're working through some of these issues, um, but the functional capacity evaluation shows a really, really high level of impairment, that's going to get discounted. I think it's less likely to happen with a psychiatrist because they are medical doctors or prescribing medications, and the medications either work or they don't. But again, I think that, you know, Long-term treatment is, is very, very helpful, um, but beware that um, if your your treating psychologist comes back with limitations that are a lot greater than what the treatment notes say, uh, that's going to be a problem. And I think also uh, many psychologists don't take a lot of notes. Um, I think some of them are concerned that those notes might be used in court. And so a lot of times we see very, very hand-scribbled notes, very, very brief notes, um, and then, or sometimes no notes at all, and then we, we, we try to submit a functional capacity evaluation. That just doesn't really work 
as well. Um, I will also tell you that PTSD cases are very difficult to win, especially if the traumatic event did not happen to you personally. Um, and I think judges also bring their own experience into it. I've had uh, cases where judges will uh, deny a PTSD case um, because they didn't feel like the traumatic event was serious enough. I remember I had one case where um, a client of mine was in the military. She had been raped by a supervisor uh, repeatedly over a couple-year period of time. Eventually, the supervisor was transferred, but my client never reported because she was afraid of retaliation. Well, the judge just didn't couldn't buy that. He just felt like, you know, why she why she would not report that? That didn't make any sense. And we tried to explain because she was afraid that she was going to be transferred, you know, out to some, you know horrific uh, base or maybe into combat or something like that, or that she was going to be harassed even more if she reported it. So she didn't do it. And some judges just don't buy that. So again, PTSD, very, very difficult. I had another case where a client was, uh, was, was, uh, I think he maybe was in the military as well. He was sitting at a desk. Somebody comes in and literally blows the head off the guy sitting next to him. There was a personal issue there. Well, the judge's concern was it didn't happen to you. It happened to the guy next to you. Why would you be so traumatized? And sometimes I just sort of shake my head. I'm thinking, you know, what would you think, Your Honor, if if you were sitting there and somebody came in and, you know, just murdered the person next to you? Wouldn't that impact you? But again, some judges just feel like if it doesn't happen to you, um, then it, it can't really be all that real. Also, they'll look at how long ago something happened and how long it happened. Again, I had a case a few years ago where a client claimed that she was raped um, two or three times in her 20s and now in her mid-40s. Um, she's claiming flashbacks and all these issues. And the judge said, well, you know, that was 15, 20 years ago. Uh, you didn't seek treatment right away. Now you're saying, you know, 20, 25 years later that this is causing all these problems. I don't get that. And I think that, you know, that's, again, in my view, um, it's very difficult to second-guess somebody who's undergone something really traumatic like that, but people have reasons for not reporting it, and sometimes those reasons are they're afraid of retribution, they're afraid of physical harm, but again, I will tell you that, that PTSD cases uh, are very difficult for that reason. Um, I even had one case where I had a guy who had been a combat soldier in Iraq, uh, had been on... Uh, basically patrol duty, had seen multiple of his comrades killed. He'd seen a lot of death. Um, he was just a complete mess. He needed a service dog to help keep him calm. Uh, the judge wouldn't let the service dog in the hearing room and deny the guy's case. Um, again, you just can't account for that. And I think that's the, the, the theme here is that there's a lot of inconsistency. Um, I think judges will sometimes deny um, cases. They'll deny uh, PTSD and, and depression cases, uh, that a judge next door would approve. Uh, again, what they're looking for, I will tell you, generally speaking, for, for medical issues or mental health issues, they're looking for suicide attempts. They're looking for one or more uh, psychiatric hospitalizations, evidence of a disconnect from reality. Um, it really helps to have statements from coworkers and supervisors. But if you go in there and there's been no psychiatric hospitalization, uh, no suicide attempts, uh, it takes a lot to win a depression or other mental health case. I'm not saying it's right or I agree with it. I'm just telling you this is what's going on out there and that um, judges just expect to see people seek treatment, a long-time uh, uh, compliance with that treatment, and strong support from a doctor. And if it's a traumatic event or if there's a causation event, they want to know what it is, and it's got to meet what they feel is reasonable. Um, so... 
mental health cases more difficult to meet than they ever were. Again, not impossible, but difficult. Um, people ask me, what about testimony? I will tell you, your testimony can hurt you if it comes across that you're invested in being disabled. Uh, but even if you have the strongest testimony possible, you're completely compelling, you seem totally honest, I think the medical record is even more important, especially in mental health cases. But generally speaking, in any kind of case, your testimony, my feeling is it's can, it can hurt you, can't really help you, so you want to just prepare for it so that your your statements are consistent with what the judge would expect to hear based on what the medical says, and that you show yourself not to be invested in the idea of being disabled. You're not, you've not concluded you're disabled. You come across as being a fighter. So if I had to tell you what wins uh, currently is you know long consistent medical treatment, support from your doctor that is consistent with what's in that record, um, a long consistent work history. I think more more and more now, non-medical evidence, statements from former coworkers and supervisors or um, evidence of failed work attempts, those things are extremely important uh, to winning disability cases. So uh, we've, got a, we've got to put it all together, and that's really what it takes, I think, to win disability cases. So uh, not every case is going to fit this pattern, but the more you can, the better it's going to be. So I hope you found this helpful. If you have any questions, please let me know. Until next episode, this is Jonathan Ginsberg wishing you the best. Thanks a lot. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Subscribe to this podcast for regular updates at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this podcast useful, then please give me a five-star review because it helps others see the value of my information. Thank you in advance. For a 100% free and confidential evaluation of your case, visit ssdanswers.com. That's ssdanswers.com. Don't delay. Act now.